Hi, this is Dave Coulier, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Okay, let's rewind. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder, and welcome to another installment of the history of synth pop on PF's tape recorder. This is episode three. Now, you remember in episode two, we went into the 70s, and instead of going chronologically, I decided to go in more of a uh, linear musical path, and that I wanted to kind of show you what was going on with more, I guess, uh, mainstream acts. Well, a couple, anyway. Uh, Donna Summer, the Beach Boys, and uh, Paul McCartney, and well, I guess he was without wings at that point, it was just Paul McCartney. But, uh, and then we kind of got into uh, being boiled with Human League and Warm Leatherette uh, by uh, The Normal and Memphis by Silicon Teens to kind of whet our appetite for what was going to be going on in more of the uh, post-punk new wave scene. Now, we're going to pick that up in episode 3, uh, 1977. Uh, and like I said, the, the thing all along with synthesizers in the 70s, it's either being used by these big progressive rock bands who can afford this massively expensive equipment, uh, or it's being just used as kind of to make novelty records like you know, popcorn and it's used you know as kind of flavoring in in some songs and you know again Paul McCartney and the Beach Boys you know use it as, as flavoring all the Beach Boys do make one almost entirely electronic album and then of course we have uh, disco acts using it particularly Donna Summer produced by Giorgio Moroder uh, with a song I feel love we heard in the last episode in America uh, bands are using keyboards but there isn't anybody doing it to the extent where they're doing it as all keyboards, which is what we're going to see over in Britain uh, within a year or two of 1977. Uh, one act that's using electronics a bit more is Devo. Uh, they released an album in 1976 called Are We Not Men? Which actually, I guess it's question, Are We Not Men? Answer, We Are Devo is the title of the whole album. And uh, this is a track from that. Again, guitar in the background, but you can hear right at the beginning, uh, keyboard prominently out in front. This is uh, one of their signature songs. This is Jocko Homo. <laughs> Jocko Homo by Devo, there's a great acoustic version of that from the late 80s, in which it's done with just with an acoustic guitar and Mark Mothersbaugh singing. It is fantastic. Uh, I should have played you a little clip of that. Maybe we'll do that uh, in a future episode. Another band that uh, is quite an influence on early electronic bands is Yellow Magic Orchestra from Japan. Uh, they turn up in 1978, and they mostly they use sampling before there was sampling. They don't use, we'll discuss sampling keyboards coming up when they start becoming a thing. Essentially, a sampling keyboard is where you can record, you probably know this, you can record a sound into the keyboard and play it on the keyboard as any note you want. Well, they do this with just tapes, and they take little clips of mostly video games, and they construct little soundscapes with them. Their big contribution is the fact they use an early version of a Roland drum machine, which is going to become very important uh, with synth acts because, you know, they don't want real drummers. And in a lot of cases, well, we'll explain this down the road too, we'll, we'll probably repeat this information, is that, uh, you know, a lot of these electronic bands aren't traditional musicians. I guess a lot of the punk bands weren't either, but they needed the uh, drum machine 
not only because they couldn't find a real drummer, but also because uh, as Vince Clark of Depeche Mode and later uh, Yaz and Erasure explains, uh, a drum machine's very unforgiving. You can't make a mistake with a drum machine. And so uh, anyway, the Roland drum machine, I can't remember which one it is, uh, I'll tell you on the other side of this, uh, is used by Yellow Magic Orchestra. It influences a bunch of bands in Britain to pick up drum machines. And well, this is Yellow Magic Orchestra with uh, what I guess is one of their biggest hits. It's called Computer Games. Magic Orchestra there from Japan. They use a Roland MC8 micro composer. It's one of the first early sequencers. They also use uh, what's called a, a, a TR-808, I believe, is one of the first early drum uh, machines, a rhythm machine, they call it. Uh, back to America and back to bands using electronics uh, at more at the forefront, but still not abandoning guitars. We have a group from Boston, Massachusetts, with two members who come from Ohio. That would be the Cars. And again, the Cars, uh, the Cars, I guess, were one of, I guess, America's either, I wouldn't call them America's first new wave band. I would definitely call them America's first well-known new wave band. Uh, but even even though you, you remember, you hear the Cars on classic rock radio all the time, so you probably figure, oh, well, these guys were all over the place in the 70s. But as I recall, even in high school, even in the early 80s, the Cars still weren't like a huge, huge band. I mean, people liked them. These two guys in the computer lab I used to go to after school, uh, they were older, uh, a year or two older than me. They loved the cars. They found out how to play music on the old Apple II computer we had in the computer lab. And they figured, the one who's like, got so excited, said, we could put car songs on this, man. So they were very excited. And uh, and that made sense because, uh, you know, Greg Hawks, the keyboardist, it's a very prominent role in the car's music. Indeed, uh, he has one of the greatest keyboard riffs ever. And I would think one of the best electronic songs ever. Even though, again, you're going to have some guitar on this. It is dominated by Greg Hawks' keyboard. In fact, it's one of the few co-writing credits that the cars give. It's mostly Rico Kasich writes all the songs, even though the other band members helped out. Greg Hawks actually gets a songwriting credit, I guess because he did the actual riff for this, but this is a song called Moving in Stereo.
Moving in stereo, you might know it from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. What a great tune, what a great riff. Again, in America, people digging keyboards, but not really becoming all electronic, although I would say the cars in most cases are mostly electronic at times, but then they're, you know, back to more, even when they're using the guitars, though, they're doing them in a, in a different way. And again, I would call them America's really first new wave band. Really, I guess them along with Devo, because Devo wasn't quite punk. I would say they were more new wave. Another group from America... A bit of a strange one, Sparks, you may have heard of. You might know them from Cool Places as their big top 40 hit comes in 1983. But uh, they go back to 1971. They're kind of a glam band when they start. They they don't like uh, folk music, for sure. They like a lot of English bands. They end up going to England to spend some time because they describe themselves as Anglophiles. The band is basically two brothers, Ron and Russ Mayo. And then uh, they come back to America, though, in 1976, 77, and they're kind of like, ah, we want to do something a little different. And this, of course, Donna Summer's I Feel Love, which we heard in the last episode, is out, produced by George Romero Maroder. They told this journalist, hey, we want to kind of go in that direction. We're just not sure how we, we do that. Because, again, synthesizer's still new, still expensive. Uh, so the journalist happens to know George Romero Maroder, puts them in touch with each other. They make an album called Number One in Heaven, and it produces uh, a song called The Number One Song in Heaven, which with George Romero Maroder, it is almost entirely electronic. It becomes a big hit in Britain. It does nothing in America. Uh, these guys can't even get arrested in their homeland. So again, it's back to Europe where they spend quite a bit of time having hit records, like I said, including this one, the number one song in heaven. song in heaven from Sparks. Now, around the same time, there's a fella, his name is Gary Newman. He's in a band called Tube Way Army, and they originally are a punk band, but they go into the studio one day, and there's someone has left a keyboard there, a, a Moog, a big Moog. And uh, it's a mini Moog, but it's still a big keyboard. And Newman looks at it, and someone has left it on, uh, and he just puts his finger on the key and in one of the low notes and it shakes the entire studio he says he goes i can't believe you can get so much uh so much uh power and sound from hitting one little note so they decide to scrap the whole punk album they're going to make and they make a an electronic album and it produces a huge huge hit called our friends electric and what happens with our friends electric is it goes on top of the pops and uh suddenly there are all these bands before this in England, including orchestral maneuvers in the dark in Liverpool. Uh, what the time is Human League in Sheffield uh, before they 
split in half and become Human League in Heaven 17, uh, the Cabaret Volteris in Sheffield. So there's people all over the the country in England doing electronic music but not knowing that other people are doing it. All of a sudden, this guy comes on TV and ends up with a massive number one hit. And uh, this is Two-Way Army fronted by Gary Newman with Our Friends Electric. At this point, Newman ditches uh, the two-way army, goes on as Gary Newman, and he releases another massive song. Uh, this time it becomes a hit in both the UK and the US. Well, you know this one. Cars becomes a number one hit in the United States and in Britain. And really, this kind of, I think, is the opens the door for people hearing all electronic or mostly electronic music uh, on the charts here in the United States. Uh, back in Britain, uh, I mentioned these guys a, a minute ago, uh, a couple of kids from, and they are kids, they're 18 and 17 and 18 years old, Palm. Uh, Paul Humphreys and Andy McCluskey in Liverpool form a band called Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Uh, and they are very poor. They call themselves the most manual keyboard band ever. Everything has to be played by hand on mostly homemade equipment. They have one uh, instrument they buy. It is called a Korg Micro Preset, which they have to get from Andy's mom's uh, K's catalog. It was a mail-order catalog back in the day. And they paid a, a couple of pounds a week for it, finally get this thing. And it is really a piece of crap, but they're able to manipulate it with effects and things like that to make it sound decent. And then using some other equipment that they have, Andy buys a bass, uh, Paul is able to you know, configure some electronic drums, and well, they uh, actually come up with a couple of tunes, including this one. Mm-hmm. 
Electro Theater from 1979. It gets them signed to a, uh, a division of Virgin Records uh, under Factory Records, which is run by Manny and Tony Wilson. It's called Din Disc. It is run by Tony Wilson's wife, who is a big fan of the boys. Tony Wilson, not as keen, but he says, ah, do whatever you want. Uh, he tells them, you guys are going to make a lot of hit singles. They're mortified. They're thinking we're doing something that's experimental, German-influenced. And no, they're making pop records, which they later realize they are doing. Uh, it influences a couple of kids in Basildon, uh, east of London. Uh, a couple of kids, have, they have a band called Depeche Mode, and we'll discuss them in the next episode and how that call it impacted them. Meanwhile, over in Manchester, uh, the next city over from Liverpool, there's a group called Joy Division. And Joy Division, I guess, is known as kind of a punk, post-punk band, but they start to get interested in electronics. Uh, they're going to lose their lead singer, I believe it's in 1979 or 80, and Curtis uh, tragically takes his own life. The band becomes New Order, a lot of you know this, uh, but even before they become New Order and move in an electronic direction, uh, they release a song, well, Level Terrace Apart even has some, some keys on it, but uh, same thing, they go into the studio, they, f- they see this keyboard, almost similar to Gary Newman, and they're like, wow, this is really cool, and they start monkeying with it, and they kind of get a little riff going and they come up with this piece of music and then Ian Curtis goes home and writes the lyrics and uh, it posthumously becomes a big hit for them in 1988 when a greatest hits collection is uh, released you might have heard the song in Stranger Things it's used in uh, season one I believe and this song is called Atmosphere Atmosphere from Joy Division, and of course, like I said, Ian Curtis tragically will take his life. The band will reassess things. They decide to press on, but with a new name, they bring in the drummer's then-girlfriend, Gillian uh, Anderson. No, that Gillian Anderson from X-Files. Gillian Gilbert is the keyboardist that they bring in, and she really uh, says we should really move in this electronic direction. And while they do still keep the guitars and everything like that, kind of like the Cars and Devo and Sparks, it becomes a mostly electronic sound. And uh, they're still kind of known as a mostly synth-pop band. Not all electronic, I guess, like an OMD or a Depeche Mode, but uh, that's where New Order... And we'll hear more from New Order in the next episode as well with what they do, uh, which brings us to the conclusion here of the 70s. We have a, a band that kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a fellow named Trevor Horn, who you may have heard of, who be, uh, ends up becoming a producer, a fellow named Jeff Downs, and they kind of take a backwards course through electronic music. They end up forming a band called The Buggles. They write a tune with uh, a third fella named Bruce Woolley, and it's a very famous song called Video Killed the Radio Star. Famous in this country for being the first song, uh, the first video ever played on MTV. It only gets, to, I believe, the number 39 or 40 on our charts. It is a number one hit in 15 countries, though. And what happens with The Buggles is they record this. Bruce Woolley leaves the group 
make records his own version, doesn't go anywhere. Uh, Jeff Downs and uh, Trevor Horn, the remaining Buggles, release, uh, of course, the version you know of Video Killed the Radio Star, and it becomes a massive hit. And I consider this to be another case where this really, I think, is like the first big new wave song, maybe apart from moving in stereo and some of the stuff the cars have done. But uh, I think this really is the entry point, not only because it's it's used two years later to launch MTV, but because it just did a, the sound is there. You'll, you'll see what I mean. Here is the Buggles with Video Killed the Radio Star. So the Buggles, weirdly, after this, both Trevor Horn and Jeff Downs end up in progressive rock group Yes recording their next album. So they like went from being this you know new wave post punk uh, minimalist thing to going to this you know prog rock bullshit as my friend Pat Francis calls it. Uh, note, my friend Pat Francis, big fan of prog rock bullshit. He's just joking around when he calls it that. But they go backwards through and, and end up joining a big, you know, uh, well-known band like that. I think they make two albums. Them. They come back and make a second Buggles album, which wasn't, doesn't do very well. Downs goes on to have a career with, you know, other big prog rock groups that are still going in the 80s. Horn, of course, goes on to produce uh, ABC. Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood and many, many other groups and a wide variety of groups too, which is really cool. So that kind of gives you an indication that he was kind of forward thinking and thinking that, you know, well, you know, music could be all kinds of different diverse things, at least in, in, in pop circles. So there you have it. That is the 70s in the history of synth pop. We're going to delve into the 80s. We're going to revisit our friends uh, Heaven 17. Uh, human, I got a funny Heaven 17 story for you. Something just happened a, a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, we'll go with uh, you know, Depeche Mode and New Wave and exploding radio scene here in the United States. And we'll cover all that. In the meantime, we're up to a song of the week. And the song of the week comes from a group uh, It's a favorite of fangirls. I mean, here is it's the Fratellis. I want to get the uh, exact title of the song, right? So hold on. Let me go back through my iTunes here. There we go. There it is. Okay. And so the Fratellis uh, released an album here in 2021. Didn't even know. It's called Half Drunk Under a Full Moon. Who knew? Uh, the single from it is called Six Days in June, and it is really, really cool. I, I'm really liking this song a lot. I'm very excited about it. I hope you will be too. This is the Fratellis with our song of the week on PFT Tape Recorder, Six Days in June. So long, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 